0: When you think of an argument, what do you think of? Two people pushing against each other intellectually in a battle of wills? A duel between two intellectual titans? Or perhaps a war of the minds where two sides battle it out to decide whose ideology is going to be on top? Or, like most people in the world, do you imagine two people shouting and screaming at each other and never bending to reason, compromise, or even their own morality? People who shout the thing that they like, and scream obscenities at anyone that disagrees? Well, if you said the second one, then you're used to politics. American politics especially. But assuming that you're one of those people, how do you totally own your opponent for an audience of otherwise apathetic, anxiety-riddled people watching? Today on, Why Aren't You Talking About This? Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of WayTat. I'm your host, William, and I will be your fallacious guide through the land of falsehoods and fallacies today. Uh, But before we do that, I do just want to take the opportunity to thank you so much for listening. Uh, It means the world to me to have my voice echoing through your head like that one time you stuttered while saying you fucked someone's mom. Don't worry, you'll get him next time, champ. Also, if you could uh, maybe start thinking about sending stuff in for episode 40... I mean, it's still a long ways off, but but hey, it's episode 28 now, so it will probably sneak up on you before you know it. Okay, and if you want my episodes to be more timely and also have some higher production quality, uh, you can do all the normal influencer and tuber stuff. Uh, make sure on YouTube to like, comment, subscribe because it drives the algorithm. Rate and review on your podcast platform of choice to spread the show. Send an email to tell me what the fuck is up, and also make sure to follow me on Twitter to tell me to shut the fuck up in a DM. Also, keep spreading the word to your friends and families, uh, strangers on the streets, lovers in the sheets, and anyone who will listen. But yeah, just keep in mind I'm not liable for anything that you do to spread the show, even if in previous episodes I highly suggested some violent and or strange behavior. Uh, That's just me being quirky. I mean, that being said, fuck it, do some crimes and wear a poorly made weight hat shirt on your mugshot. On to the show. (laughs) Holy fuck, do not do that. Do not commit crimes in my name. Holy shit. Okay, so what are we talking about today? Well, I mean, largely we're talking about argumentation and fallacies specifically. But before we get into the fallacies, and trust me, there are a lot of them, let's talk about the elephant in the room with this topic. Do arguments do anything? No. If we're being entirely honest, the only thing an argument does is let you vent your frustrations about something at someone. And also lets you get your clearly very important thoughts in the world without creating entire podcasts around it. Anyways, arguments in general aren't really a way to solve an issue unless both sides have agreed that it is. And even then, humans are stubborn and it's hard to convince them of anything. So you might be asking, what's the point of this episode then? Well, because even if arguments don't prove or fix anything, doesn't mean they don't still happen. And when they do happen in a normal day-to-day world, a lot of times they're filled with fallacies and incorrect thinking that leads to arguments that seem unbeatable but are also clearly and obviously wrong. So it's important to be armed with the information needed to beat these fallacies and understanding of what makes them wrong in the first place. Basically, this is the, uh, here's how you own people on the internet episode. But with that, let's talk about fallacies. A fallacy is a faulty reasoning or unsound argument. Or otherwise, a failure in reasoning which renders an argument invalid. I mean, if you want to be technical about it. And if you don't notice them, they can get very quickly out of hand and spiral into something that you can't really control anymore. And fallacies fall into two general categories. Formal and informal fallacies. A formal fallacy is a fallacy with structural issues in the argument. Basically that if you break it down into logic language, there's something fucked up with your math. Meanwhile, informal fallacies are content issues. Meaning that the actual content of the issue... Meaning that the actual content of the argument has failures in it. And this will get more clear when we go into them individually. So let's first cover formal fallacies, beginning with the more general kinds. And first is the appealed probability, which is when someone takes something for granted because there's a chance it's true. This would be something like Murphy's Law, and it's a fallacy because it's built on a faulty premise. Probability isn't certainty, and uncertainty doesn't mean possible. Next is the argument from fallacy, which is the assumption that if an argument is a fallacy, so is the conclusion. So, for example... Say someone makes the argument to you that all cats are animals, and since, your cat cu- and since your cat Cootie is an animal, she must be a cat. And so you reply, fuck you, not all animals are cats, so Cootie isn't a cat. While, well, assumedly, Cootie does something very cat-like. Basically, a broken clock is right twice a day. You can't just dismiss someone's entire argument as untrue because they made a stupid argument. People are dumb, and dumb arguments sometimes happen. Next is the base rate fallacy, being a tendency to ignore relevant statistics in favor of case-specific information. Or in other terms, you ignore that your company's been increasing in value about 21% per year, which is really fucking good, for about a decade, extremely fucking good, and see the 5% drop this year as a sign to open the golden parachute and burn it down on your way out. And this is a fallacy because unlike in war games and role-playing games, specific doesn't trump general. There's also the conjunction fallacy where you have the assumption that an outcome simultaneously There's also the conjunction fallacy where you have the assumption that an outcome simultaneously satisfying multiple conditions is more probable than an outcome satisfying a single one of them. So for example, if you make up a woman named Linda, who is a 30-year-old, single, outspoken, and highly intelligent woman with a philosophy degree, I know control your boners. Um, who cares about discrimination and social justice and routinely attends protests. So now that we have this woman made up, let me ask you, what's more likely, that she's a bank teller or that she's a feminist bank teller? I can't hear you, but most people would say the latter, which by definition isn't true. Because the odds of being a feminist are a certain percentage, and being a bank teller is a certain percentage. So being both is lower odds than being one of them. But the reason why this is a fallacy is literally that. Combining two odds is always a lower chance. Then there's the non sequitur fallacy, where the conclusion doesn't follow the premise. And this is your classic like Chewbacca defense. Two random plots next to each other presented like they mean anything. And then finally is the masked man policy, which is a substitution of identical designators and a true statement that can lead to a false one. So for example, do you know this masked man? And obviously because it's an Eyes Wide Shut orgy, you have no idea who it is, and the person asking replies, Wow, I'm surprised you don't know your own father. Also, assumedly the orgy stops, but the reason why this is a fallacy that even though two different labels exist for the same thing, it doesn't mean you're allowed to change them at will, because every label has a subjective difference between them, and changing them up can make statements more inaccurate than they were before. Next are the formal propositional fallacies. The first is the affirming a disjunct fallacy, which is concluding the one option must be false because the other one is true. For example, evolution has to either be a theory or a fact. Since it's a theory, it's not a fact. And this is a fallacy because two things can be true at the same time, unless you specifically define things as exclusive, things are rarely either or in the real world. There's also the affirming the consequent, which is that the proposition must be true because the conclusion is true, which would be something like, well, if the Bible is true, then Jerusalem is real. Since we can go to Jerusalem, the Bible must be real. And this fails to recognize that not all Y are X, and not all X are Y, and just because you can make shit up about the. and just because you can make shit up about why a fact is real doesn't make the shit you just made up real. There's also, like, denying the antecedent, which is which is that the conclusion has to be false because the proposition is false. For example, only dogs bark, and therefore, if it doesn't bark, it's not a dog. And again, just because you said something dumb and stupid and wrong, and you always do this, and goddammit, Jeremy, you're ruining Christmas again... This doesn't mean you're entirely wrong. Tacked on to the back of this is the quantification fallacies, which has only really one example um, that I could find easily that is easy to explain without dedicating a whole episode to it, um, which is the existential fallacy, where an argument has a universal premise but a specific conclusion. For example, all trespassers will be prosecuted, So therefore, some of the people being prosecuted have to be trespassers. And this is a fallacy because it assumes that a particular group has members. Because even if a statement is true, if the group doesn't have any members to it, then what the fuck was your point? And finally for the formal fallacies are the syllogistic fallacies. Which are fallacies that apply specifically to syllogisms. Which... If you don't know what those are, I mean, I I did because I took a logic class in, in college. You know, big fancy degree holding boy here. Um, but, I mean, it would make sense that you don't know what syllogism is because they're fucking weird. Uh, but they're basically deductive arguments. Uh, but they're basically logical arguments that use deductive reasoning to arrive at a conclusion based on exactly two propositions that are assumed to be true for the sake of this argument. So, firstly is the fallacy of exclusive premise, where a positive conclusion is formed from negative premises. So, for example, no fish are dogs, and no dogs can fly, so all fish can fly. Basically, since a a syllogism relies on if A and B are true, then C must be the case, so you can't form a positive conclusion from negative arguments, and you can't form a negative conclusion from positive arguments. There's also the fallacy of four terms, where syllogism has too many terms. Pretty self-explanatory. Then there's the illicit major and illicit minor fallacies, which are invalid because the first and second terms respectively don't apply to the other one. So for example, all dogs are mammals, no cats are dogs, and therefore no cats are mammals. So basically this didn't directly connect dogs and cats together. Yeah, this is some real, like, deep logic language shit. You probably are not going to encounter this one in real life. And finally is the modal scope fallacy, which is a degree of unwarranted necessity on the conclusion. So, for example, if every creature had a time where it didn't exist, there must have been a time where none of them existed. And since you can't create something out of nothing, the only answer is Jesus Joseph Jism Christ. And this is a fallacy because it assumes that the conclusion has to exist, meaning just about any argument would prove it, so you don't even have to come up with a good premise. The uh, can't create something from nothing argument is actually a good premise. There are... This is me going off on a tangent a little bit, but there are different theories on it. People who have more, like, faith brain, you know, they're they're faith-pilled, view... It as like a sign of divinity people who are uh, science brained and uh, science-pilled uh, based in science-pilled um they will say that's evidence that the universe like expands and collapses over and over again which is a fucking wild thought that this is not the first time a universe has been created and will also not be the last um Anyways, uh, that's it for the formal fallacies. And as you can hopefully see, they are mostly built on logic language, uh, logic problems, and formalized debate and academic logic equations. Which is basically to say, shit that you would really need to uh, try hard to apply to real life. Informal fallacies are ones that you're probably going to see in real life. And we'll start with the general arguments. First is the argument to moderation, which is assuming that the compromise between two sides is always correct. For example, it's crazy to eat a whole bar of soap, but it's boring to not eat soap. So the only logical answer is eat half because that's not crazy and it's also not boring. And this is a fallacy because compromise really only makes people equally uncomfortable and very rarely is the middle ground solution actually a solution that even works. Next is the continuum fallacy, which is improperly rejecting a claim because it's not precise. Like, for example, if Newton was only 10% off the mark on his theory of gravity, the idea would be that we just throw out the whole thing, because clearly he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Calling an argument wrong because of a slight statistical or technical imprecision is... Well, I mean, let's call a spade a spade. Being a fucking pedantic asshole no one is ever 100% accurate, especially given enough time. Like, if you've been dead for, like, 300 fucking years, some bullshit that you said is going to be wrong. Like, at some point in your life. Doesn't mean that everything you said was wrong. And Jesus Christ. Anyways, uh, next is the suppressed correlative. uh, Which is redefining one of the concepts in the argument so that the alternative becomes impossible. For example, I'm thinner than John, so I'm not fat. This is a fallacy because, you know, just because John is 450 pounds of all mean, no lean, doesn't mean that someone who weighs less isn't fat. Which means, in comparison, I'd be very thin. See, redefining a term willy-nilly in an argument implies everything else that falls outside of that term is impossible. Next is the definist fallacy, which is one that I know that you've seen before, is where you redefine a key term of the argument and hope that your opponent accepts it and then looks like an asshole by opposing it. This is the anti-abortion argument, by the way, where it's reclassified from a usually minor medical procedure where you swallow a pill and bleed out the pussy to the murder of an unborn human life in the name of Satan. Oh, by the way, if you're anti-abortion and your argument is that unborn babies can't go to heaven, that makes God sounds like an asshole. That makes God sound like an asshole. Anyways, this is a fallacy because you're putting words in someone else's mouth. Uh, then there's the divine fallacy, where you argue something is so strange or amazing, or where you argue that something is so strange or amazing that supernatural, divine, or alien hands must have made it. This is like arguing that the pyramids were built by aliens. And this is a fallacy, because you're basically implying not only do humans suck shit, but you're also creating a position without an argument. If it's aliens, there's nothing to defend, because every argument is vague bullshit about aliens. Then there's double counting, where you account for the same group or event multiple times in the same probability, which results in overblown results. Like if you roll 2d6 and ask how how likely it is for 5 to show up on any die face, you may think one-third, but actually eleven thirty-six because a five-pair is already counted. I know that sounds pedantic, but this is a fallacy because it either intentionally or accidentally oversells the impact or importance of something. And with the case of the fives example, it's actually underselling the importance of it. Next is equivocation which is using a term with more than one meaning without stating the intended meaning. And this general category includes ambiguous middle terms, definitionist, definitional retreat, the fallacy of accent, and persuasive definition. But more generally, an example would be that since man is rational and no woman is a man, then no woman is rational, which is both sexist and binary to those of you who care, and annoyingly pedantic to those of you that don't. Either way, this person would get curb stomped. And this is a fallacy literally because this is not how language works. Now another example of the equivocation fallacy that I'm going to give you is the Mott and Bailey fallacy. Where you argue a controversial position, your Bailey, but then when someone pressures you, you act like you're really advocating for the modest position, or the Mott. So for example, morality is a social construct. That's the Mott. Therefore, I should be allowed to hunt homeless people with a crossbow because my morality is based on what brings me endorphins. Which is the Bailey. And if it's not apparent, this is a fallacy because it's, compla- because it's conflating two similar but starkly different positions as the same thing. Like, sure, morality is relative. That does not mean that gives you permission to shoot people with a fucking crossbow. This also happens a lot online in the opposite direction, including an entire brand of memes where people take someone's argument and assume it's a mot, and that they're hiding their Bailey. Uh, my favorite one on just pure ridiculousness is one where the mot is uh, we think the government's oppressive and the Bailey is we want to kill white people. If that doesn't tell you who exactly the poster is, I don't think anything will. Anyways, next is the ecological fallacy where you infer the nature of an entity based on statistics collected from a group in which the entity belongs. Which sounds complicated because it is, but the examples aren't. For example, if you live in a neighborhood with high crime rate, you're probably a criminal. Do you see where this one gets really racist really fast? And obviously it's a fallacy because someone part of a group doesn't mean they're part of every group that their group overlaps with. The... the that just doesn't make, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna explain why that doesn't make sense, but you—you're smart. You know, you chose to listen to this episode. I assume that you understand that you're able to critically think a little bit. Uh, the etymological fallacy is assuming that the original meaning of a word or phrase is necessarily the same or similar to its current usage, like saying that there's a villain in your orchard. Today, that's unfortunate, but a weird way to say it, in the past that just means you have a farm laborer in your treeless garden. This fallacy is assuming that those words mean the same thing still, which, again, isn't how language works. Then there's the fallacy of composition, where you assume that something true of a part of the whole is true for the entire object, while the fallacy of division is the same in the opposite direction, and these are fallacies because there's almost nothing in the entire goddamn world that works like this. Uh, then there's false attribution, which is appealing to irrelevant, unqualified, unidentified, bias or fabricated sources in support of an argument. Which I feel probably doesn't really need to be explained. Uh, related is false authority, using the testimony of an expert of dubious credentials or a single, unverifiable opinion as the basis of your argument. Which is again, pretty self-explanatory, also pretty common. I mean, you can't just, like, cherry-pick a single crazy dude from a community of not crazy people and act like they're reasonable. Next is False Dilemma, where you give two possible options and act like there's no other choice. Like saying that if we don't make pizza rolls tonight, then you're going to starve to death. There's literally literally always another option, and if you live in a first-world country, most likely you're not going to starve to death tonight if you don't get your pizza rolls. I'm saying that because you're probably a little chubby like I am. That's okay, but you're not going to starve to death. Uh, <laughs> then there is a false equivalence, which is describing two or more statements as virtually equal when they aren't. Because, you know, just because two things are similar doesn't mean they're the same. So yes, your neighbor spilling motor oil into the grass is similar in ways to the, to the Dakota Access Pipeline that burst. They aren't really all that similar, are they? Next is the historian's fallacy, which is assuming decision makers of the past had access to the same information we have now. Like saying Washington was a genius for knowing the British were going to be ravaged by smallpox, and he got ahead of it with inoculations. He didn't know that, he just figured inoculations was probably a good idea, and turns out he was right. Because they are a good idea. Do you hear me anti-vaccine that got lost on your way to the Joe Rogan show? Inoculation is a good idea. Maybe you should do that. Uh, Also, there's the historical fallacy, where you believe that certain results occurred only because a certain process was performed. Which sometimes isn't a fallacy, like when you follow a recipe. It is a fallacy when you lose your wallet, so you check where you think it might be, and then assume that in reality you knew the whole time since that's where you found it. And no, you're still an idiot. You didn't know where it was the whole time because you lost it. Then there's the mindfuck of the homunculus fallacy, where you use a middleman as an explanation, explaining a concept by using the same concept. For example, uh, life began on this planet with aliens. Well, I mean, then in that case, how did life start on their planet? Well, you see, the explanation is simple. Aliens. And this is circular logic with no end point or conclusion, it's just the same argument on endless loop. Um... This part is not my script, but it is something that I remembered for this. Um, the homunculus argument came from a kind of popular, I guess, like, example of it. Of asking, like, okay, well, how does vision work? And the answer to that was, well, there's a small man in your head that is telling your brain what you're seeing because he's viewing through your eyes. And so then the question was, okay, well, how is he seeing that? And the answer was, oh, easy. There's a small man in his brain <laughs> telling him what he's seeing. Um, and it would just keep going down and down like that. So that was declared a fallacy because, like, you can't just keep passing the buck to a middleman. Um. Anyway. Uh, then you have the inflation conflict, where you argue that if experts in the same field disagree on a certain point, then the whole field has to be wrong. Like, scientists disagreeing on why climate change is our fault doesn't mean that it suddenly isn't, because they don't have the same answer. This is just oversimplifying a complex issue, you dickhead. And now we have one of my favorites just for the absurdity. The if-by-whiskey fallacy which is an argument that supports both sides of an issue by using terms that are emotionally sensitive to both sides, while being ambiguous enough to be confusing where you don't know what side they're on in the first place. So if, for example, you're in the middle of an argument between a feminist and a Sigma Grindsetter, it'd be something like this. Well, if by feminist you mean man-hating ugly pig whore that don't deserve all three inches of my smelly penis, I'm against them but if you mean blue-haired goth mummies with an 18-inch strap on that wants equality for all genders and also to spit in my mouth, I'm all for them. And this is a fallacy because you're describing the same thing in terms that confuses which side you're even on while using language that offends both of them. Which, I mean, I respect it just for the audacity, New York Times. Uh, then there's the incomplete comparison. Which provides insufficient information to make a comparison in the first place. Just like saying, just like saying, cake is better than pie without ex- without explanation, and shooting anyone that disagrees probably with the same crossbow that you use to hunt homeless people. Uh, there's also the intentionality fallacy, where he insists that the meaning of an expression must be consistent with the intention of the person who said it, which. Welcome to having a literature degree, schizophrenia, and a loveless marriage all in one. Uh, that one's, like, you know, like, for example, um, why, like, the, the favorite, like, meme version of this is, like, your English, is, like, your English teacher asking you, hey, why are the carpets blue in the story? As if the writer had any intention with that, and they probably didn't, and I can say that as a writer... And then there's Kafka trapping, which is not Franz Kafka in a shirt and a skirt and makeup, but instead is a rhetorical device where denying it serves as evidence of guilt, like someone accusing you of being a misogynist, and when you and when you vehemently deny it, they say only misogynists would deny it that hard. Then there's logic where you use multiple inconsistent and often just vaguely related arguments. For example, if someone accuses you of breaking their kettle, you say, oh, well, I returned it to you just fine. It was already like that, and besides, I never even borrowed it. Which is clearly not just a fallacy, but it's also a shitty way to argue anything. It's also very common in, like, police interrogations where they'll, they'll, like, sit down like just the dumbest person and be like, hey, did you do that? And they'll be like, no, but he deserved it. And when I did do it, I didn't do it like that, or the ludic fallacy, or ludic fallacy, I'm not entirely sure, uh, where you assume flawless statistical models apply when they don't. Like something that if you flip a coin 99 times, it would tails 50% of the time, because random chance doesn't follow perfect percentages, and also that's an odd number. It's prediction, not premonition. Then, for one seen a lot in politics, the lump of labor fallacy that assumes there's only so many jobs in an economy, which isn't true. As long as there's money in industry, there will be jobs. They'll just get more and more specific. You know, like, eventually, uh, if the economy keeps going the way that's going, there will be a job for the left uh, Jeff Bezos ball washer and the right Jeff Bezos ball washer. They will be paid minimum wage and will be a tip profession. Uh, Then you have the McNamara fallacy, where you make an argument using only quantitative measurements without qualitative qualitative measurements. Like saying that bringing in refugees from the Middle East increases our odds of dying from a terrorist attack from 3.6 billion to 1 to 3.4 billion to 1, so we shouldn't do that. Which, I mean, not only assumes that we're all perfectly logical creatures that operate solely on mathematical probability... But also ignores that the subjective quality of things matters a whole fuck ton. Especially when it comes to a society. I mean, also, like, the... I found the immigrant argument online. Like, that example online. And, like, it really made me think of, like... You know, there's a whole lot of, like, qualitative benefits to having immigration. And, like... What the fuck are these people on about? Um. Anyways, I. I yeah. Um. Uh, because I should explain that there there was a comment section on that one, and there were people arguing in the comment section about how that example isn't actually a fallacy because it's true. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um. Uh, The mind projection fallacy is assuming that a statement about an object describes an inherent property of the object instead of personal perception. Like saying fruit is icky because you don't like it, not only are you wrong objectively and you're dumb and stupid and I hate you, it's also not the fruit's fault that you're a fucking Redditor. Moralistic fallacy is- actually that's unfair to redditors. Um... I can't think of anything worse than that, though, but that's unfair to writers. I I have seen writers eat fruit. Uh, Moralistic fallacy is inferring factual conclusions from how things should be. Like saying that because war is evil, destructive, and tragic, that it couldn't possibly be in our nature. Which assumes not only universal morality, but also that things that don't fit within that morality would never be allowed to exist. And I gotta break it to you. I think war is a part of human nature because human nature is competitive and there's no greater competition than murder before you get murdered. So, I think war is a part of human nature and that's something that we're ever going to get rid of as long as we have a human nature. Anyways, away from my philosophy corner to other philosophy. Uh, And following that, definitely not loaded at all fallacy, Uh, would be moving the goalposts. Uh, This is when evidence gets provided, so you dismiss it and demand even better evidence until it doesn't exist, despite the fact that the evidence provided perfectly answers the question you had in the first place. It's like that one uh, Futurama bit where Farnsworth is arguing uh, the evolutionary history of humanity and can't name one of the several hundred connections between humans and primate ancestors, And the other guy takes as evidence evolution is bullshit. A great show, cannot remember a fucking second of it besides these very specific memories. Anyways, this is a fallacy because you're not actually trying to argue a point, just make your opponent come off as stupid. Next is the Nirvana fallacy, which is throwing out solutions to problems because they aren't perfect. Like saying seatbelts are stupid and you shouldn't have to wear them because people still die in car crashes especially the ones that don't deserve it, so you're being extra safe by being an asshole. Then there's the package deal fallacy, where you treat dissimilar concepts like they're similar or the same. And this is often seen in politics when, like, a liberal points to a queer leftist armed with an AR-15 with ACOG scope, bayonet, holster, bump stock, and attached tear gas grenade launcher, and uh, two Glock 9s on their hips with extended mags and laser sights, and thinks that because they're fucking strapped and like guns, they also hate abortion. As a side note, I I do gotta say, I fucking love this. Leftists are starting to leave the house more strapped than a bad dragon. I mean, fucking finally. Uh, Anyways, proof by assertion is that... argue. Proof by assertion is your argument just saying the same thing over and over again. Let me tell you, Ben, I think I'm gay, but I can't turn back now. Shapiro and Matt, Jesus Christ, warned you about me. Walsh fucking love this one. Just keep saying your tagline over and over again until your opponent gives up and just, like, walks away because clearly you're having a panic attack. And this is bullshit because if you refuse to explain why your side is winning, you aren't winning. Oh, also this somehow slides across Shapiro and Walsh's desk like a oiled-up picture of a teenager. Um, and they want to point out that I'm committing an ad hominem fallacy going after them right now? We're not debating, you fucking nerd. I'm bullying you. There's a difference. God damn, I'm getting distracted. Uh, I keep getting distracted a lot this episode. This episode has been kind of a nightmare to produce, but it's something I, I think is fun. I'm hoping that it's at least a little fun hearing me talk about it. Um... I'm just listing things and defining them. I I find this interesting, so... I don't know, I hope that this is hitting, like, your ADHD brain in the same way. Uh, anyways. um, We also have the prosecutor's fallacy, where, despite there being a low probability of false matches for something, doesn't mean a low probability of false matches being found. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but let me explain. They're accused of committing a crime against... Let's say, a white man with a beard to hide his lack of chin who identifies as a fascist and asks people about womanhood, totally random person, and there's DNA evidence from your fist because you were allegedly kind enough to lick the cheeto dust off your knuckles before you punched him. Well, just because there's evidence doesn't mean that you did it. Basically, if the accused was guilty, there's high odds of there being evidence. But that doesn't mean because there is evidence that you're guilty. Weird, huh? It's basically just the difference between, like, generalized and specific statistics. There's also proving too much, where an argument results in a conclusion that is way too generalized. For example, you can't be an atheist because you can't disprove God. Because at that point, like, if you're just going to cast such a wide net, you might as well not say anything at all and not argue. Then there's the psychologist fallacy, where an observer presupposes their own objectivity when observing someone else's behavior. But I'm going to tell you right now, all of us are guilty of that. If you're listening to this episode of this show, you've done that. Uh, because, very much like me, you're a pseudo-intellectual. Uh, kind of related are referential fallacy and reification. Referential fallacy is the false notion that words are connected to existing things, and that if a word exists, so is the thing. Fully ignoring that humans can make up words for, for abstract concepts reification is taking an abstract concept or hypothetical situation and acting like it was concrete the whole time. Uh, like the idea of defying Mother Nature. Now, now I believe in the great mother like any other good pagan boy, but I'm not naive to think but I'm not naive enough to think that nature is a literal big titted waifu that needs our protection. Nature is an unfathomably large abstract concept in and of itself. And for another pair, they're kind of related. They're kind of related. We have retrospective determinism and slippery slope. Retrospective determinism is the idea that because an event occurred under particular circumstances, that's how it was always going to play out. Like saying, no matter what, if Caesar became emperor, he was going to get the old British treatment, and by that I mean stabbed. Essentially, that just because that's how it went down this time doesn't mean that those circumstances always lead to that outcome. The slippery slope, meanwhile, is asserting that proposed and relatively small first action will lead to a chain of events resulting in a significant and massively negative event. Because this makes an assumption of not only extremes, but that once you do something, you're locked in and it's only going to go one way. Like how there's actual people with jobs that pay taxes and have kind of functioning brains, they think that letting gay people sign a document legally binding their a- binding their assets, and also doing a ceremony to represent their deeply held romantic and sexual love for each other, will one day lead to people fucking your dog in the street with no consequence. Now, besides really outing Matt Walsh as a dog fucker, this clearly isn't going to happen. Even if two gay men falling in love makes Ben Shapiro sadwank into his hogendoss, and the idea of free zoophilia making Matt Walsh come in his undies. And finally for the general ones is special pleading, where the arguer attempts to cite something as an exemption to otherwise generally accepted rules without a justifiable reason. And an example of this would be saying like, oh, hemp oil is going to cure your rash, and then when it doesn't, making the excuse that, well, I mean, you gotta have faith in it for it to work, you silly goose. I mean, because if you're peddling as medicine, it needs to follow the rules of how medicine works, you can't make an exception for this one thing, because it's so special. Okay, our next category is improper premise. Where I only really have three examples. Begging the question, circular reasoning, and the fallacy of many questions. Begging the question is using the conclusion of the argument to support itself in a premise. Like saying smoking cigarettes are deadly because they make you dead. You can't prove a point by saying the point. The circular reasoning is when you begin with what you were trying to end on. Like saying that the president is a good leader because he leads to the US. You can't prove a point by saying something that your conclusion is needed to prove. That doesn't make any fucking sense. And finally is the fallacy of many questions. Where you ask someone a question that, presupp- that presupposes something that hasn't been proven. For example, Ben, have you or have you not stopped taking Femboy penis in your Benussi? See, that's a fallacy, because it's creating a situation where Ben Shapiro is forced to agree with the point that he takes Wiener in the butt, even if it's untrue. Which I'm not saying that it is, by I'm perhaps implying, just, just maybe implying that it's true. I mean, have you ever seen him react to, like, videos of Femboys online? It- it's fucking it's it's honestly really funny. If he wasn't such a homophobe, I would feel bad for him, but he's just such a fucking asshole. Anyways, uh um, again, this isn't ad hominem. I'm just bullying him. Um our second to last category are faulty generalizations, which are just getting really loosey-goosey with blanket statements like grandpa does at Thanksgiving when he's had a few too many uh too many whiskeys on the rocks. Like the no true Scotsman where you make a generalization, someone calls you out on it, so you quickly change it to exclude their counterexample. Like saying, well, no true Scotsman puts his dick in an English woman," And then you remember that Angus McMalcolm, the most Scottish man to ever live, has seven children with his English wife, so you say that he can't be a true Scotsman. Cherry-picking is using individual cases or data to confirm a particular position, ignoring related cases or data. Yeah, you know, like saying that the Bible hates gay people because it, it doesn't. You're just cherry picking information to support your bullshit. I will I will give I mean it's been a while since I've read the Tanakh, but I think the Tanakh does hate gay people, but the Bible doesn't. Uh false analogy is when you make a shitty analogy. Self explanatory. Or hasty generalization, which is also largely self-explanatory, where you base a broad conclusion on a small sample. Uh, argument from anecdote is when anecdotal evidence is, is presented as evidence because a single example doesn't prove fuck all. Inductive fallacies are a category of fallacy where a conclusion is drawn from premises that barely support them. Uh, misleading vividness is when you over describe something to make it seem like it's important. You know, like calling global war, you know, like calling global warming garbage because you tell a story about how your car was icy this morning and it's mid-October. Overwhelming exception is an accurate generalization that has qualifications that are so expansive that what remains is way less impressive than initially it was. And a good example is the uh, Monty Python Life of Brian bit, um, where they're like in the room talking about like overthrowing the Romans and talking about all the things that they've brought to them. Um, I'm not going to do a British accent, but it's... Uh, Alright, but apart from the sanitation, the medicine, education, wine, public order, irrigation, roads, a fresh water system, and public health, what have the Romans ever done for us? And finally, we have the thought-terminating cliches, which piss me the fuck off. They're commonly used phrases used to end a debate without making a point, like, oh, stop thinking so much, or, oh, here we go again. And this fills me with such rage, because it's so fucking patronizing, and it's something I've experienced so many times, usually from the person that started the fight in the first place, being real eager to just end the fight as soon as you start making good points you know, like someone's saying some real racist shit, and then when I come back with some real shit, they go oh, well let's just agree to disagree, like no, motherfucker, you brought it up so this is what we're doing now, this is our day now I'm sorry, I have, I have problems. <laughs> it's funny how 28 episodes in is why I finally just say that, like, look, I have problems. <laughs> as if 28 episodes of this didn't already demonstrate enough that I have problems. Um, okay, now we have all the questionable cause fallacies, such as the come hawk ergo propter hawk. Ah, uh, which is not a hawk made of come fighting a hawk with a propeller Instead, this means with this, therefore, because of this. also, I only made I only said the Latin for that joke specifically. Uh, but this is a faulty assumption that because there's a correlation between two variables that one of them caused the other one. Uh, the fallacy of the single cause where it's assumed that there's a single simple cause of an outcome when in reality there's a ton of options that might have caused the event, like, My husband's late, which means he's fucking his personal trainer. The furtive fallacy is when outcomes are asserted to have been caused by the malfeasance malfeasance of decision makers. Which is basically, say, like a conspiracy theory. Or it could be. Sure, my husband wasn't fucking his personal trainer, but he was still late, so he's trying to make me think that he is. Also, if you have thoughts like that, you might want to get that checked with a psychiatrist or you're in an actual bad situation, in which case you still want to talk to a psychiatrist about that, and they can help you with options. Uh, Go to therapy, you fucking clown. (laughs) Uh, Magical thinking is the fallacy of having faith in magic. Basically, attributing causal relationships between actions and events, like Believing tossing a coin into a fountain does something, uh, regression fallacy ascribes a cause where none exists, like saying that the reason why you had mold on your cheese is because you shat yourself earlier that day. I honestly just sounds like a bad day. Uh, and finally, is the gambler's fallacy, uh, which is the belief that separate independent events can affect the likelihood of another random event. Our finer. Our final category is relevance, where we begin with the appeals. And most of these ones work the same, where you ignore actually trying to have an argument and are instead just saying some bullshit. This will include appeals to authority, consequences, emotions, nature, novelty, wealth, poverty, tradition, majority, and force. And there is actually one other appeal that isn't self-explanatory, and that is appeal to the stone where you dismiss a claim as absurd without proving why. I I mean, essentially, all of these are bringing something irrelevant to the actual argument being fought. Um, There's also all the argument forms, where you argue from a stupid place, like argument from ignorance, where you say it can't be proven false, incredulity, where you can't imagine that it's true, repetition, where you repeat the argument over and over again, and silence, where you assume something is true because no one talks about it. Invincible ignorance is refusing to believe an argument and ignore all evidence. Basically, you're just deciding to not participate for any reason. Um, related to it, by how fucking stupid it is, is Irrelevant Conclusion, where you form an argument, then say some stupid shit out of left field that doesn't relate to it at all and act like those two things are related and proves your point. I just got bursts burst of anger because I just... Oh, that one's happened to me a lot in internet fights where someone will say some dumb shit, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then they try to flip it on me like I'm the one that said it and then they're like, see that proves my point that you're fucking stupid and don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, ugh. Okay. Um and hominem, which we all know, is chucking shit at your opponent instead of your instead of their argument. Uh, I mean, with this, you can be a piece of shit and still be right once in a while, so you got to fight someone's point and assume everyone knows that they're a dumb, stupid, piece of shit asshole. And we also have the red herring, where you introduce a new irrelevant argument to the first one to draw attention away from the original topic. And uh, corporations do this all the time. Like, when they get in trouble for not paying living wages, they go, Oh, well, don't mind that. We offer great benefits, like unpaid lunches and sick leave twice a year. I mean, fucked up that they're right, and those are some, like, pretty good benefits for what you can find nowadays, but... Man, this is also starting to feel like the Anime trips episode. Looking at the time, we are almost an hour in and just in the first section. Okay, so next is the association fallacy. Arguing that because two things share properties, they're the same. Which, I don't think I need to describe to you, is fucking stupid. Nitpicking is also common... Uh, focusing on trivial details instead of the main point bare assertion fallacy is a claim that is presented as self-evidently true like saying i think strawberries are the best so they obviously must be Bulverism is inferring that an argument is being used because there's something fucky with the arguer or something you have a pro- or something you have a problem with you know like calling someone's argument invalid because they're catholic Uh, Chronological snobbery is when you deem a thesis as incorrect because it was commonly held when something else false was commonly believed. Uh, The fallacy of relative privation is dismissing an argument because there's more important things happening, which is stupid because there's always a bigger fish. The genetic fallacy is a conclusion based on someone or something's origin or ethnicity rather than the actual context, like saying the ideas you've dreamed up are invalid. A lot of people have really good ideas while they're high off their balls to sleep. I mean, they're asleep, when they're asleep. Oh, also, this is another one that gets very racist very fast. In fact, part of the definition is that it's kind of (laughs) racist. Opinion entitlement is exactly what it sounds. A naturalistic fallacy infers value from factual premises only. Like saying tigers eat meat, so the vegans have to be wrong. The Texas Sharpshooter fallacy is improperly asserting a cause to explain a cluster of data. Which sounds complicated, but it's the equivalent of shooting off a gun into the side of a piece of wood and then painting the targets on after the fact. What about-ism is saying that a position is wrong because the proponent doesn't act in accordance to it. You know, like, sure, I don't actively eat bugs, but I think we should be doing that. I mean, instead of using beef and pork products, don't just like God sign pop a couple of grasshoppers under your tongue, that's fucking weird. Next is the straw man argument, where you refute an argument that isn't being argued and act like you're fighting the same argument. For example, saying someone hates the color red because they don't like blue. You're putting words in their mouth and making up their beliefs. And finally we have vacuous truth, where you make a claim that is technically true but is ultimately meaningless. Like me saying that this episode is posted late, Berlin is in Germany. I'm right, but am I making a point? No. And uh, with that, we're going to go to the history, because we just finished the list of fallacies that I could find. That at least weren't too complicated. Holy fuck, I'm not doing episodes like this again. It is way too much work. And I feel like they're... A little bit boring to listen to. Not necessarily for me to record, but I feel like they're a little bit boring to listen to. Uh, Anyways, our history section is going to be very short. if you're a philosopher, you might be getting pissy, but remember that we're just going to give, like, a general overview about fallacies and not the history of philosophy. Uh, We also don't really have the time. And it's very difficult to research, like, specifically, like, when every single fallacy was invented because, like, that's not that's not a big concern of academia. Alright, so we're starting off at the beginning of human intellectualism. At the beginning of human language. And fuck that shit. So instead we're going to the 6th century BC. Or the 2nd century BC. We're not entirely sure when, but the uh Oh shit. Indian words. Oh no. Uh Naya no. Naya Sutras were written, um, which cataloged a tonological fallacies in India. And once again, in addition to me not being able to pronounce words from anywhere east of like. Uh, east of like. Yeah, I mean, I guess like east of England. In addition to me not being able to pronounce words, in addition to me not being able to pronounce words east of England, uh, the West is not the first, despite constantly insisting that they are. To the Western world's credit, over Aristotle's lifetime, which is around three eighty four to three twenty two BC, um, he invents basically all the fallacies that we know today, or at least like, invents basically all of the fallacies that we know today, or at least like the general categories that we use today. Uh, Things got a lot more complex after he died. Um, But we actually don't really have a whole lot that changes as far as, like, the list of fallacies go for almost the next 2,000 years, with Aristotle's principles serving as the backbone. Uh, This changed with Francis Bacon, who lived between 1561 and 1626 and made a number of contributions to our list of fallacies and the concept itself. Uh, While he wasn't himself directly a philosopher, uh, during his career as a statesman and lawyer, he developed a better understanding of false idols, prejudice, and bias. Uh, particularly in law and science. Which, given that philosophy is the noble scavenger of the academic world, much like vultures and crabs, it got quickly poured over there. In 1662, we have some professional philosophers in the pair of Antion Arnold and Pierre Nicole. Fucking French names. Um... They write the book Logic, or The Art of Thinking, which quickly gets shortened to Port Royal Logic. Why was it shortened to that? Fuck you, that's why. But this book creates new divisions in the fallacies that Aerosol invented and move away from logic and argumentation being based on language and transferring it to usage in everyday life and science. Further, the bell. <laughs> Further developing the field in 1690 was John Locke, who identified the appeals uh, to authority and ignorance and also ad hominem in his essay Concerning Human Understanding. However, he didn't initially call them fallacies and instead just identified them as general arguments that people use. I mean, mind, not great arguments, but his essay was less about like identifying how humans should act and more how they act. Quickly, though, these are recategorized as fallacies, which I think if you're gonna be a big brain, that makes sense. I mean you can't really have like logical arguments that evolved into know you and KYS over and over. And then another thirty years later, in 1724, is the time of Isaac Watts, who writes Logic or The Right Use of Reason. Also that's logic with a CK. Fucking old book names, I swear. But Isaac Watts adds three more ad arguments, being the appeal to being the appeals to faith, passion, and a public appeal to passions, which we now call Faith, Emotions, and Majority, or bandwagon. He also he might have also invented the straw man argument, but we're not exactly sure. And then literally a hundred fucking years later, Jeremy Bentham writes his handbook on writes his handbook of political fallacies. Talking about fallacies that produce stupid beliefs in people in one of four categories authority, danger, delay, and confusion. Basically, that these fallacies produce one of them in people. Richard Waitley, two years later, wrote his third Elements of Logic book, giving an account of fallacies and breaking for the first time the Aristotelian principles, and including fallacies that aren't based in formal logic. And finally, for our timeline, in 1843, John Sewer Mill wrote book five of a series called A System of Logic, uh, Ratiocinative and Uh, inductive, why is that a hard word now, and my god, old book names uh, where he drew the difference between moral and intellectual fallacies and a difference between generalized fallacies and confusion fallacies and uh, yeah that's all we're going to cover for the history so let's talk about the modern some more alright, so what's up with fallacies in the debate now do people care about it, and if so what's going on with it and uh no, people don't give a shit about debate. At least not in any like real legitimate way. Uh, uh, people are what we call debate perverts where they just want to see two people sit down and have an argument with each other where they just intellectually bash their action figures together and, and jerk off. But these aren't logical or rational arguments or debates or really structured in any way. People just want to watch verbal or textual brawls. And where do fallacies fall into that? Poorly. Fallacies are used constantly and only called out to avoid any good part of someone's argument. Like if someone just fucking broadside owns you with an insult and you can't respond, you shut out of the homonym until they shut up and you win the argument. Fallacies are meant to make arguments more, more logical by avoiding them, but so often, they're actually used nowadays to bash other people over the head while making the exact same arguments. So I guess is kind of the point of this episode, so we're actually going to combine this and the solutions together, because there's not really opinions to go over, and no soapbox, because honestly, man, this is just fucking long. So let's go over some of the more common fallacies that both I've seen and are commonly listed across the internet, how to avoid doing them, and how to combat them. beginning with the straw man fallacy. If you don't remember this one, it's basically making an argument up and then acting like that's the argument your opponent is making. And avoiding this one is actually fairly easy to do. Just don't, bozo. And if you want to compare arguments, be honest. Tell the pros and cons of both sides and integrate the benefits of theirs into yours. Makes you look a lot more reasonable and also steals their argument out from under them. Beating the straw man argument is similarly easy. Call out straw man and then put your opponent on the spot. Ask them to prove how the original point and the one they said you're making are the same. Bandwagon fallacy, or the appeal to majority as we kind of talked about, is using the weight of the masses to win the argument by claiming that if a lot of people believe it, it has to be true. This guy is pretty easy to not do. Question claims and beliefs that are held by a majority and look for some actual logical and factual support of the claim. Like cracking your knuckles, giving you arthritis. That's absolutely false, and cracking and the cracking you feel in here are air pockets that build up in between the cartilage and your juicy juicy knucks. And the way to defeat this is to ask why people believe this idea and lead the conversation towards admitting that's basically just because it's popular. Another common one I see is the argument from Incredulity Where basically because you're a big dumb dummy That doesn't know how life works You think that means that you're right And again Avoid this one by just not doing that bozo Uh, Recognize that Just because you don't know how it works Doesn't mean that it doesn't exist Break down why you don't understand And why that makes you such a cranky bitch And do something about it And to defeat this just Ask your opponent what the fuck is wrong with them. Oh, sorry. Make them justify their thinking and provide evidence that explains the concept. Like, if someone doesn't understand evolution and therefore thinks it doesn't exist, tell them about the peppered moth. This moth species, within one human being's lifetime, adapted to a new environment, going from white to black to blend into urban sprawl, and that when... Enough of these adaptations happen, a creature evolves, because it's different from what you started with over multiple generations, and the old animal has probably died off. Ad hominem, perhaps the single most common on internet fights, is actually very easy to both fight and avoid. Again, just don't, fuckface. Make sure to sling shit at their argument and not them. Because you know what's more embarrassing for a debate pervert than being insulted? getting their argument absolutely cumstered and dumpstered by someone that they think is inferior to them. But if someone starts attacking you personally, you really have four options. One, you can acknowledge it and move on. Two, you can just ignore it. Three, use your own ad hominem that's better than theirs and get back to the argument. You know, like for example, if they say, they fuck your mom because you're rocking their shit in the gay rights argument, you can reply with, I don't know why you're bringing up my mom's disappointing sex life, but much like her, gay people also also deserve to have subpar dick and privacy. And fourth, turn it back on them and make them explain how it's relevant to the conversation. The first, who are refusing to take them seriously by implying that they suck such shit at insults that you're not even going to waste time to clap back. While the third fucking owns them, and the last one focuses on the debate itself, where you treat them seriously. And which one to use largely is going to depend on the kind of argument that you're having. The appeal to pity, or in other terms, don't make good points, I'll cry, is one that I see more often in my personal life. And the best way to avoid this one is to just not use it. Well, Someone has a tiny penis. I don't know if it's going to pick up in the audio, but someone's revving their truck. Um, because, think, who is an appeal to pity going to work best against? Man, someone really, really has a tiny penis. Uh, people who either don't want to hurt you, or are real bleeding hearts that care about people and don't want to see anyone upset. So not me. Which in the first case will cause some major resentment as you throw their love for you in their face, and in the second, adds yet one more strong to the camel's back before they become an asshole like I am. Defeating an appeal to pity will almost always make you look heartless. And the person ask the person to explain why, especially if you care about them, or, I mean, fuck it, you can gaslight them and say that you don't care, but they don't have to act like this to get your attention. Uh, not even for legal reasons. For moral reasons, don't fucking just do that out of nowhere. Like, this has to be, like, there's some mutual problems going on for whatever reason you just haven't decided, like, well, fuck it, I'm done with this. Um. Uh, meanwhile, if you don't if you like actually just don't give a shit about this person, just say, who acts don't care, and just keep on going with your argument. Even if it's something that like really makes you look heartless, like no one asks, I don't care. Fuck off. Uh the appeal to authority or saying, well, Sam Jackson likes it, so it has to be good is again easy to avoid. Most of these are actually pretty easy to avoid, just Don't rely on the testimony of other people as much as possible, and instead rely on original fact and data. Because like we said in the science episode, it's people that makes things weird. Data is just information. And the best way to beat it is to just question the credentials of the authority figure they're using and why they chose to bring them up. And what makes acclaimed astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson relevant to this conversation about abortion? Is he a medical expert, or is he just a STEM lord? Is he speaking sincerely? look, I like Neil as much as the next guy but come on man I don't make any kind of assertions about astrophysics how about you we need to say to our training uh, I'll stick to English literature and politics because that's what I'm good at and I'm a humanities brain I think the STEM brains should probably not comment too much on like social issues because they tend to not they really tend to step on toes by an accident, and then they double down. Anyways, equivocation. Uh, and, I mean, that was a long time ago, about an hour ago. Um, but this is the one uh, using a term in an argument with multiple, with multiple meanings, without saying which one you're using, so you can switch it up on whoever, so you can switch it up whenever that's convenient for you. i also fuck you if you do this. Um, avoid this by, firstly not being a piece of shit, but also by being precise in your language and examining your arguments to make sure that they make sense with your precise language. Make sure you know what the fuck you're talking about before you talk about it. And the best way to beat it is to ask for clarification, especially on slogans and buzzwords, because once you force someone to do that they're going to realize that they're not saying anything and be embarrassed. Next this is... A good- Next is the comhawk, which is seeing a correlation between two variables and thinking one caused the other. I for this. make sure you're taking coinciden- coincidences into account and that there's other variables involved. And if someone is using the comhawk, first tell Matt to put the bird down and zip his pants up, but also do the same thing as avoiding except aimed at the other person. Arguing from anecdote, is another personal pet peeve and something I've encountered a fuck ton of times and hate it because it feels unbeatable. Luckily I got you, so the best way to beat this is to critically analyze the anecdote, provide counter-anecdotes since that's the kind of bullshit they're on, and give them actual evidence. Now for avoiding it yourself, remember that anecdotes are never evidence, only use them alongside evidence being given and avoid false equivalents. And finally, before we end the episode, is the slippery slope. And again, don't use this one. If you're going to, ask yourself if each link in the chain is valid, and if every part of it is true and evidence-supported. If a link isn't supported, then you can't really say the chain of events makes sense. Now, to defeat this, point out the distance between the start and end of the chain, and remind them that we're not fucking machines. I mean, we might be fucking machines soon, but we're not. We're also fucking machines. But we're not machines with the word fucking for emphasis. Humans can turn back at any time and not, and if not undo a mistake, at least stop making the mistake. But with that, let's end the show. Wow, long episode. Holy shit. Man, I. Yeah, I'm really not going to do these long episodes anymore. It's, uh. Quite the workload. Anyways, if you have opinions, advice on how to make the show better, fallacies I missed, uh, defenses of your favorite dairy Wired, Dairy wire, defenses of your favorite daily wire cheese dicks, uh, and really anything else you want to tell me, make sure to email me at waytatpods at gmail.com. That is W-A-Y-T-A-T-P-O-D-S at gmail.com. Uh, also remember to check out my other podcast, Waytat Nerd, Or do basically the same thing, but with nerd topics like fantasy, sci-fi, role-playing games, etc. I hope you like the topics just as much. Also remember to follow me on Twitter at WayTat underscore Pons for more episode announcements. Have a good night. Don't murder. Have fun. And remember, philosophy is made up, and the rules don't matter. This has been Why Are You Talking About This? I've been your host, William. Good night. One more dig at the philosophy, people, huh?